0: Okay, we are in Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26. We're gonna pick off where we, pick up where we left off last time. And, uh, just to give you a background, Isaac, because of a famine, so a famine has taken place, and Isaac has to leave where he was formerly, and he moves to the town of Gerar. And Gerar is actually not on this map. It's just off the edge of this map. So Gerar is right about here. And and the I guess the famine must have been just a little bit uh, less severe here in Gerar. He, he, a lot of his time he spends in Beersheba. But he goes over to Gerar during this famine. And during that famine, uh, uh, he meets up with, with Abimelech, a different Abimelech than his father Abraham had dealt with. Uh, this is about sixty to seventy-five years later than when Abraham had met up with, with had gone to Gerar. And while it's a time of famine, it's a time of famine in the world, Isaac is thriving. Isaac is growing and planting and getting a hundredfold, and 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 so you see that it's exactly what it says in in Psalm chapter one, is that When the world is drying up, you can be you can be prospering. In a time of famine, Isaac is prospering. And so let's pick it up from verse twelve. Now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. So that's Genesis chapter twenty six, verse twelve. So he's reaped a hundredfold during a time of famine. Verse 13, "...and the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy, for he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him." So here he is living in the land of Gerar. The Philistines start to envy him because he's just his household is just increasing and his flocks and his herds and they're looking at this guy. In a time of famine, this guy is just flourishing. So it's really interesting... That when you have the Lord, you can really be even flourishing when the world is drying up. And, uh, um, and then it says in verse 15, Now all the wells, all the wells, which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. So again, when he's speaking about the Philistines, he's speaking proleptically. And, and uh, um, he says that, that they envied him so much that Abraham, his father, had dug many wells. And wells are a life source over there, particularly in a time of famine. Wells are a life source. And in order to hurt the growth of, of uh, Isaac, the men plugged up the wells. We used to have an expression. I don't know if it's an expression anymore. We used to say, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Does that exp- Is that ever used anymore? It's, it, it, it actually used to be quite an, a common expression, right? Back in the old days. <laughs> and uh, um, But that's exactly what they're doing. In a time of famine, they are hurting themselves also just to hurt him all the more because he has bunches of flocks. So when you have a person who has lots of flocks and lots of herds and a huge household, and you stop up all of their wells, it says all of the wells in verse 15. Now, all of the wells, you stop them all up. This is, this is just death for this guy. This is just death. This is what he's proclaiming. Uh, he's just really cutting off the, the lifeblood from them. Uh, uh, from Isaac's family. And then in verse 16, then Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. So look at what he did. He stopped up all of the wells. They stopped up all the wells. Then they said, go away from us. So in other words, they went out and they stopped up all the wells in this southern region that Abraham had dug. And then they said, now go from us. So this is like sure death. This is a very abusive action toward Isaac by the people of Gerar. And why would they do this? Not that Isaac had done anything to them, but because they envied his prosperity. If you envy someone or something, you will end up doing things to harm them. That's why the scriptures talk about not being like this. Don't covet your, your, your neighbor's things. And so they sent him away. So this is a direct attack upon him. This is attack. This is some extrinsic attack upon him. It's something from the outside is coming upon him. So what should be our response when that happens? What should be our response when that happens? When these extrinsic things, when people come against us in order to hurt us, what should be our response? Well, the scriptures are pretty clear about this, what our response should be. If you look, at, look in Romans chapter 12, So the New Testament has for us instruction on how our response should be. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You overcome evil with good. In other words, when people, when there's these extrinsic attacks, when people are attacking us from the outside, things coming against us, it says we're not to seek our own revenge. We're not to do that. And it says do not be overcome by evil. Evil can overcome us. If we plan to do something to somebody that's evil, it will overcome us. You get angry. I mean, somebody does something to you. You know, you're driving along and they, they give you that universal sign that they're upset with you. And, 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 and there's this natural tendency to just want to do something back to them. The Bible says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You do some, something of good to the person who wants to hurt you. This is what we are commanded this is what we're commanded to do in, in the in the uh, um, in the New Testament. This is what we're commanded to do. And now look in uh, um, uh, Luke chapter six, Luke chapter six, verse twenty-seven. Again, gives us instruction on what we are to do. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. We are obliged to pray for those that mistreat and hurt us. We are obliged to pray for them. We are obliged to do good to those who mistreat us and to those who hate us. But I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. We are to take specific actions of good toward other people who do things wrong to us. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. So when we have extrinsic attack, how are we supposed to face it? and thrive according to the Bible, we are to do good to those who are coming against us. As believers, our calling is higher. Now let's read on in Genesis chapter 26, verse 17. And Isaac departed from there, and he camped in the valley of Gerar, and he settled there. So when he left the city of Gerar, and he went down to the valley of Gerar, so that's the wadi that will be coming off the town. So there, he goes down into the valley. So he leaves the city. He goes down into the valley. What happens in the valley? Let's read in verse eighteen. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which his father, which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. All right. So Isaac found the wells that his father had dug. And he had his servants dig them back out. Now, I've been to this very region of Israel, and I've seen a lot of those little cities. There's a little city, you'll, you'll see it, in, and you'll see the wall around that city. And, and you know, it, this, the whole city is maybe the, the, the size of one of these city blocks. You know, that's it. And, and uh, you know, there, there may have been, I don't know, a thousand people living in that city. 500 people. And there would be a, a well of water right at the entrance to the city. Right inside the wall there is the well. You find a well, you build a, a little town around that well because you're dependent upon that well. You need that well. That's your life blood right there. And so so he knew where those wells were. He went and he started digging them back out. Verse 19 But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of, they dug in the valley and they found there a well of flowing water. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac saying, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they contended with him. So again, he leaves the city, he goes into the valley, he digs out one of the wells, he has water, and then the Philistines say, hey, that's our well. Uh, you know, my father dug it, you stopped it up, I dug it back out, and now you're claiming it's yours. So what does he do? He, he, he Then he moves on and it says in verse 21, then they dug another well and they quarreled over it too. So he named it Sitna. Sitna is actually the same derivation of, of, of the word Satan. and And so he dug out another well and they claimed that one too. So here they had stopped up a bunch of wells, which cut off their own lifeblood, Isaac digs out the wells, and then they say, hey, that's our well. And uh, uh, so you see, he has this attack. So when, you, when people come against you, think about Isaac. People came against him too. The New Testament gives us the way to deal with it. We are not supposed to attack back. We're not. You, if you're of the world, you go ahead and you do that. But we are called to something higher. And, in fact, we're to pray for those who mistreat us. This is an active prayer for those that will mistreat us. We're to pray for them. That's what we're obliged to do. And then in verse 22, He moved away from there and he dug another well. So he moved away now from the valley. He says, I'm I'm getting far away from this town of Gerar. Moved out of the valley. He moved away from, from there and he dug another well. And they... And they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth. For he said, At last the Lord has made room for us and we will be fruit, fruitful in the land. So this word Rehoboth, there, there's a town in Israel called Rehoboth, which is the same word. And, and uh, it is the town where, where the Weissman Institute is. So for all of you who are scientists, you may have heard like uh, of the Weissman Institute. It's a, it's a great... Research Institute in in Israel, and I've done sabbaticals there. It's it's a wonderful place, but it it just means uh uh it means this this spacious place is the name, and it's actually not fo- not too far um, uh, from there. It's probably oh I don't know ten miles from from uh, uh, where Gerar might be, or 20 miles from Gerar might be. And so I, I don't know if that's the same town where Rehobo is today, but it may be, it may not be, but it's of the same name. And he said, I'd, I, I'll be fruitful there. Now verse 23, then he went up from there to Beersheba. So he left there and he goes to Beersheba. So that town of Beersheba was, was where Abraham spent a lot of his life, was in Beersheba. Isaac spent a lot of his life growing up in Beersheba. That is that, that place where there were seven wells, uh, uh and, and that, that, uh, so he goes back to Beersheba. So now the the, uh, the, the famine might be lifting at this time, and it says, Uh, in verse 24, then the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply you and and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and he called upon the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug wells. So the Lord appeared to him. So the Lord had appeared to him much like the Lord had appeared to him earlier. But but uh, um, Isaac this time has public worship. When he says, and he called upon the name of the Lord, that is a public worship. So Isaac is now having public worship in this place. and uh, um, uh, But God comes to him and he says to him, I am the God of your father Abraham. I want you to know why I'm doing this. Why am I being good to you, Isaac? It is because of your father, Abraham. I am being good to you because your father. Because of your father. Your father followed me. Your father served me. And because your father served me, I'm being good to you. Remember that. One day you will be parents. As you follow the Lord, you bring blessing upon your children after you. As you follow the Lord, you bring blessing upon your children after you. Psalm 112 verse 1 and 2 talks about the same thing. You follow the Lord, your children will be blessed after you. He says, I'm doing this. He says, I am the God of your father Abraham. And the last part of that verse, it says, for the sake of my servant Abraham. Because of Abraham, I'm doing it for you. You bring blessing upon your children if you follow the Lord. If your parents are godly if your parents are godly, there is blessing upon you just for being their children. Just for being their children. There's blessing that's going to come upon you. If your parents serve the Lord, there's blessing. He says here, for the sake of my servant Abraham, because Abraham served me, I'm being good to you. And he says to him, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. Now why would he say... To Isaac, do not fear, unless Isaac were afraid. You know, if, 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 if somebody says, walks up to you right now and says, don't cry, and you'd be like, uh, I'm not crying. You know, you don't say things to people, don't do this, if they're not doing it. He says to him, do not fear. This is the same thing that he told Abraham at one point in his life. The same thing that he's going to tell Jacob at some point. All of the patriarchs had to be told, do not fear. So when you go through a season in your life when you're fearful, you're not alone. The patriarchs have been fearful. Everybody goes through times of fear in their life. Everybody does. You are not alone. So this feeling like, you know, I'm the only one who goes through this. You are not Whatever you experience, other people experience over and over again. You are never alone in your experiences. He says to him, do not fear for I am with you. You do not have to fear. Why? Because I'm with you, God says. Do not fear for I am with you. So there is a verse in in Isaiah 41.10. I didn't list it there, but this verse I used so much in my graduate school career, especially my first year, wondering was I ever going to make it. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I used to get alone in the morning, and I used to just recite this verse. Do not fear, for I am with you. I would envision myself... God standing right next to me Jesus right next to me do not anxiously look about you for I am your God I will strengthen you I would say Lord give me strength you just said it you would strengthen me give me strength I will strengthen you surely I will help you surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand I would envision myself being held up by God's hand and you know what would happen I would walk out of my prayer time like a roaring lion I'd go from feeling very weak the feeling invincible. You say, how can that happen? Because I obeyed the word of God. You obey the scriptures, these things happen. You don't, it doesn't. It's that clear. You obey the scriptures and God strengthens you. God does this. It's up to Him. He does it. And so He says, He says to, to Isaac, He says, do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants. I will bless you and multiply your descendants. I'm going to do all these things for you. This is not now the extrinsic attack. We just saw the extrinsic attack. They plugged up the wells, and then he moved, and they fought over the wells with him again and again and again, and they drove him out of the city. That's extrinsic. How do we deal with extrinsic attacks? We pray for our enemies. That is the only way you will have peace When you are under attack from this extrinsic attack, you pray for your enemies. You bless them, you do intentional acts of good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Somebody's hurting you, you find out what they like and you get them that. You buy Starbucks coffee for your enemies and you give it to them. By specific acts of good, you overcome in the midst of extrinsic attacks. How about the intrinsic attacks? How about the attacks from within? This is the more insidious. This is the one that battles with us. I'm reading this book called I-Gen. The, uh, the, the generation is called I-Generation or Generation Z, which is exactly what you guys are in. Generation Z is now from 9 years old to 26 years old. That's Generation Z. And You say, well, I'm 27. I'm... No, you're still part of that. I mean, when, they, when they talk about generations. But it, it's 9 to 26. It's, it's this generation where people grew up with smartphones in their hand. And what's happening? The depression level within the, the I generation, within Generation Z, has more than doubled from the time that I was in college. More than doubled. In fact, some people even say tripled. And what happens is they're finding is that because you can do so much on social media in your home, you never have to leave. You, you know, Amazon can bring you everything. You never have to go out and, and, and interact with people. This lack of human interaction is causing an extreme amount of depression. You say, really, is it causal? Yes, they're finding it is really caused by this constant screen time. And they, they, they determine screen time versus screen time correlating to depression. And we're seeing this so much. And the suicide rate among teens has gone way up. The one thing that's gone down is the homicide rate among among this generation, and the reason for that is because you're not with people anymore, so you can't kill them. That's why. And 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 uh, um, but the suicide rate has gone up triple, triple. I mean, it's huge numbers. And I'm reading this book. I'm like, whoa. These are the this is the very generation that I'm talking to. Well, how does the Bible teach us to deal with the intrinsic attack? This feeling of depression, this feeling that I'm not good enough, I do not measure up, my low self-esteem, and I sit here in my house and everybody is putting up on Instagram all these happy photos and they're all happy. And I'm not happy. Because they're posting all these happy photos and they look so perfect. Yeah, because they took a hundred of them and they chose the best one and they shaved it down and then they put that up there. And that's why they look so perfect. It wasn't perfect to begin with. Everybody doesn't look like that. And and, uh, and and you sit there and you think that I'm not like, they didn't have that in my generation. You, you know, they didn't have those sort of, you didn't have those tools back then. And so what's happening is there's all this attack. Well, how do you deal with it? The scripture gives us a specific way to deal with this sort of, it's about me. My life is about me, and all the struggle that's going on with me and my life. Well, how does the Scriptures tell us to deal with this? Well, look in Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. Proverbs 11:25 says, "The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. He who waters will himself be watered." I am giving you a prescription to deal with this whole feeling of. Depression and and low self esteem, and it's all about me. I'm just not happy anymore. Here is the prescription on how to deal with this: He who waters will himself be watered. If you water others, you will be watered. It is not about you sitting in your house anymore and just looking on the on the uh, at the social media and thinking everybody's so happy except me. You have to get out of that and interact with people and serve them. Remember what he said. Abraham, because of Abraham, what? My servant! Because of, I'm doing this for you because of Abraham, my servant. He who waters will himself be watered. Look in Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 10 and 11. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 10 and 11. And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. Your gloom will become like midday. If you do what? Remember, the scriptures are extremely specific. This is what you have to do if you want your gloom to become like midday. It is not just doing this in your mind. It means you get off your butt and you do something for somebody. You give yourself to the hungry. You satisfy the needs of the afflicted. Then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom like the midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places. When the land is just scorched, everybody's getting torched here. Your desires will be satisfied. And you give your strength, you give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You want to see deliverance in your life? You get out and you serve others. They're finding that it's the lack of human interaction. God has this already all figured out. God knew. You've got to deal with people. And you've got to do things for other people. It's not about me and my depression anymore. So, so I can easily turn in on myself. I can have low self-esteem and all of this. But I can't do it for very long. And the reason I can't do it for very long is because I've got to prepare a message every Sunday for this class. So I've got to force myself. Come Monday morning, I'm preparing again for the following Sunday. People ask me, how long do you prepare for these messages? All week. All week I am preparing for this Sunday message. Every day, every day that week, I'm reading the Scriptures and meditating on it, saying, Lord, here's the portion. Speak to me. What's the message for today, for, for that Sunday? What is the message? I have to do this. I don't have time to just sit in my, my home and suck my thumb and feel how bad I am about myself. I can't because I have to deliver this message. I'm obliged to do this. This is my act of service. And I have other ministries going on during the week. I have to go in there. I have a... I have this this faculty staff prayer meeting. I can't just go in there and say, "Hey guys, I just feel miserable. Just pray for me." Okay? Just, just you're all here just pray for me. I can't do that. We're praying for the campus. It's not just about me. When you're there to do things for others It pulls you out of this. God already figured this out. He said, if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will become like midday. If you pick up an act of service, you say, I don't know where to serve. We got a whole church here where you can be serving. We got a whole church here where you can be serving. You can come on Wednesday nights and work with the kids group. You can do upward basketball with the kids. And that means you get out of your house and you do something. And now you got to teach a little Bible study to some kids. So it forces you to get out of yourself. God figured this out. You say, man, this is too simple. Mine is clinical. All right. Well, let me let me share with you this portion. This is this is very interesting. In 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 uh in 2 Kings chapter 5, let me tell you what's happening here. There's this great man Naaman. He's from this this uh, uh this this country called Aram. And this great man Naaman, and he was a general, but he was also a leper. And he had a Jewish slave girl living in his house. And this Jewish slave girl really liked Naaman and she said to her, the, Naaman's wife, she said, I wish that Naaman were in my country because there is a prophet there that could heal him of his leprosy. So she tells Naaman, Naaman sends a letter to the king of Israel and said, I'm coming, to, uh, I'm coming, please heal me of my leprosy. And the king of Israel is like, who does he think I am? God, I can't heal him of his leprosy. But then the prophet Elisha finds out that Naaman has come to be healed of his leprosy. And so he says, so so let's start reading in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 6. He brought the letter to the king of Israel and he said, and now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. So in other words, the king of Israel said, they're trying to start a war with me by putting me in a position that I can't deliver on. And then it says in verse eight, and it happened when Elisha, the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and he went away and said, Behold, I thought surely he'll come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over this place and cure the leper. And are not Abna and Pophar Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. Then his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more then, when he says to you, wash and you'll be clean? So he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of, of, of the man of God, And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So Naaman said, No. He goes to he goes to Elisha the prophet. Elisha the prophet doesn't even come out to see him. He comes with all his great men, you know, this great general. Elisha doesn't even bother to go out to see him. He just sends his servant out. He says, Tell him to go jump in the Jordan seven times, he'll be clean. I mean, you can't be serious. So you might look at me and say, you can't be serious. All I have to do is start getting out and serving others and my depression's gonna subside. He can't be serious. No, no, no. I've gotta spend 10 years in therapy and spend a ton of money and take a bunch of medications to solve this. I've just got to. Well, why not at least try what God has put forth? Why not at least try? When God says, "I will take your gloom and make it like the midday," why not try His word? Why be there like Naaman and say, "No, can't be"? And so Naaman goes off in a rage. And then his servant comes and he says, "Look, Naaman, if He had asked you to do something great, if He asked you to, t- you know, go and kill a hundred Philistines, and you'd be clean, wouldn't you do it? Just go, go down in the Jordan." So he does it, and he's healed. How about taking God's word? How about trying this? How about trying what God has said to do and seeing if it pulls you out of your despair? I'm telling you, when you serve others, you don't have time to think about your own state. And it gets you interacting with people again. You can put away your smartphone and just go serve meals to the hungry. You can put away your smartphone, teach a little Bible study to the kids. Do something like that. And let's see. If your gloom turns into like the midday, you don't have time to think about yourself. Mother Teresa, I don't know that she ever had to sit on the psychiatrist's couch. She never, what about me? Who's going to minister to me? I've been, you know, here's Mother Teresa. I've been ministering to all these people. No, she had no time to do this. She was just consumed with life, giving it out. This is the prescription that God has for us. He tells us to do this does us to do this and it'll just come overflowing. Look in Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Luke six thirty-eight says, give and it'll be given to you. They will pour into your lap good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. If we do nothing for others we receive nothing. But as we pour ourselves out for others you may say there's nothing in me. I have nothing to give. Well, how, how about just sitting there and letting kids in Awana on Wednesday nights, in this in this church on Wednesday nights, this place is a zoo. The whole church is a zoo. you got kids running all over. You can sit there and kids practice their verses on you. They have to recite the verses that they've memorized that week. You don't even have to have memorized them. You're sitting with the book. You get the cheat sheet. And you're looking at that and you're testing them. Can you do that? Can you sit in a chair and have a kid recite their verses to you? You start giving out and you will leave here like, wow, that was kind of fun. I feel different. It was tiring. I think I'm going to get a good night's sleep for once. It will be turn your gloom into midday. How do you deal with the extrinsic attack? You pray for those who are coming against you and you overcome evil with good. How do you deal with the intrinsic attack? Oh, I am just being overcome. How do you deal with this? It's through specific acts of good, specific acts of service. This is how He's created us. Uh, look in, in, um, Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four, verse 11 says, not that I, well, well, um, let me read the whole, a little bit above there. So in Philippians chapter four, it says, in verse in verse 9, Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, "...these things I have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you." Philippians 4, 9, "...the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me…" That's Paul speaking. "...you practice these things and the God of peace will be with you." You practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What I am sharing with you today, it comes through Practice. Peace comes through practice. You practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. If you read about these things and do not practice, you don't get the peace. You get this by practicing these things and the God of peace will be with you. And then he says in verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, now you... you you have the opportunity. Now you do it. It is when you rise up and have the opportunity and they could give back. They could give back to Paul. They could minister to him out of this. Then they, they, they received back. They received back because they were giving of themselves. They were giving of themselves. You, you, you take these things and you participate and you are blessed. The Bible says you have been created for good works. You have been created for good works. Try to take a shovel and change a tire on a car. doesn't work. The shovel was not made to change the tire. You have been created for good works. That's what the Scriptures tell you. You have been created for good works. That means if you are not carrying out good works, you will never be content. You will never be content. I ask you to try the word of God, test the word of God and see if it be true. Test the word of God if you don't if you just rise up from this place where you are suffering from this depression and it's woe is me, I'm not good enough, I don't measure up. And and uh um, and see by service if you don't get a blessing and your gloom turn into the midday. Don't be like Naaman and just say, oh no, that can't work. That, that's just too simple. That's just too simple. Remember, it's God who made you. It's God who created you. And if you do not know the Lord, you can't tap into this without knowing the Lord. The first step is to know Jesus Christ. I urge you, if you do not know Jesus, come to Him this day. After this message, we're gonna, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper and then we're gonna go to my home for lunch. I beg you to come to my home for lunch. If you do not know the Lord, you come to my home for lunch. I will sit with you personally and tell you my story about how I came from a totally different background and came to faith in Jesus Christ. I just want to tell you my story. And you will get saved today. I guarantee it, you will get saved today. And then you will be able to tap into this And this whole feeling of despair, this whole feeling of woe is me, I don't measure up, I'm not good enough, I'll never be successful. You can start to do these very things. This intrinsic attack you overcome by doing works of service. You have been created for good works, you do that, and you will be greatly blessed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. And Father, my heart goes out to the people here today, to your children whom you love so much, but are torn inside with that feeling of despair, with that feeling of brokenness. Lord, I pray thee this day that they would follow the prescription in your word and get out and start serving others. Even in their weakness, they would learn to serve. And through that, O Lord, I know every word in in the Scriptures is true. Every word. You said if they would go out and feed the hungry, if they would take care of the others, that you would turn their gloom into the midday. Lord, I pray, that you would so deliver them, that they would take specific acts. Lord, I pray that they would they would turn like Naaman and go ahead and do what was told to them and then see the hand of deliverance. Father, please, Lord, work upon their hearts that they would take your word for what it is, the truth of it, and follow through. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers here today. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'd save a soul. Save a soul this day. Lord, don't let me go this day without seeing a soul saved. Please, Lord, let me bring one to your feet this day that may be saved so you would introduce them to the Father. Glory be to your name. And Lord, I trust you because you said, from the east and the west and the north and the south, they will come And sit at the table in the kingdom of God. They will come. They will come. Glory in Jesus' name. Amen.